Kia kaha, kia maya, kia manawa nui. Kia ora, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. My name is Isaac. That was Hello and Mary. And it also was Be Strong, Be Brave, Be Steadfast. Love a bit of te reo. Haven't spoken any for a long time. I've been in Australia too long. But welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. My name is Isaac, aka Shrek. Today we're headed to New Zealand to chat with Renee Taylor, one of the Salt Sisters, whose mission is connecting women to the ocean themselves and each other. Really cool chat. Very interesting woman, a speech therapist by day and a, a spearfishing and freediving uh, salt sister team member by night and obviously her free time as well. Really cool. Really enjoyed her take on the world and uh, had a really lively conversation in this interview. Just before we get there, just quickly, I wanted to tell you about a really cool competition, Old Man Blue, oldmanblue.com.au, running a comp. It's called the Help Us Name Our Crayfish or Lobster Catch Bag Competition. There's three... Really cool prizes uh, involving a bunch of stuff. All basically, all you got to do is, if you're a creative type too, and you like naming stuff, you you, you might enjoy this. It might be your it might be your bag. Oh, see what I did there? Um, name the crayfish or lobster bag. You can do it. Go to oldmanblue.com.au or follow oldmanbluedive on Instagram and just check out sort of the rules, really simple though, basically just come up for a name for this lobster bag, you watch a video, see what it's like, have a look at the pictures and uh, and provide a cool name and hopefully you'll be in the running for a price. It's going to be drawn at the end of June, so get in, get in fast. Uh, but anyway, hey, let's get into today's episode with Renee. I hope you enjoy it. Long-time sponsor, partner and supporter of the Noob Spirit Podcast, Adreno.com.au has been with us for more than 100 episodes and I, for one, am extraordinarily grateful. I believe there are four strong reasons to shop at Adreno.com.au. Number one, price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Number two, flat rate shipping across Australia. Number three, hassle-free returns policy. It's super easy if you have any issues with your gear. Number four, and probably the best of all, you can use the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200 at adreno.com.au. Now, and even now, you can use the code in store. Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, new store on the way. It's a literal no-brainer if you're a Spiro in Australia. Thanks, Adreno. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code Noob10 at Neptonics.com. Boom. Welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. Today I am joined by Renee. She's a speech therapist a Spiro and a Salt Sister. That's a, a lot of alliteration. There's way too many S's there. Being a speech therapist, though, I know you'll appreciate alliteration. So welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So speech therapy, spearfishing and Salt Sisters. That's that's yes. that's a lot of S's. Um, what started first? I know. So speech therapy, I guess, started, I mean, actually, it depends how far back you go because my journey towards spearfishing and the ocean has, I guess you could argue, been a lifelong one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with, let's start with speech therapy. That's kind of the, the career path, right? Mm. So I, um, 
I'm a speech and language therapist and I specialize in swallowing disorders. Yep. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a swallowing specialist. <laughs> Cue the drums. Yeah. yeah so I'm, a, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm a swallowing specialist, but yeah, I guess my partner might beg to differ. Um, the, the pathway for that was that I was working, um, working with kids with special needs and, yeah, I can't, I saw what speech therapists did from a, a child's perspective. So the the speech and the language and the classic sort of stuttering and things like that. And then when I got into it, I realized, yeah, there was kind of this whole realm of health, which is swallowing. And if you think about it, the, the same anatomy and physiology for your speech, um, you use for swallowing too. So eating and drinking, I should be saying, make it less dirty. Um, and equalizing too. Yeah. And equalizing. Exactly. And the acronym for the speech therapist, well, one of them is SALT. And then my business SALT is also SALT. So ah. it's kind of all very, it's all interconnected. It's crazy. Wow. What a holistic um, person you are. It's very holistic. <laughs> it's just embedded in my blood. Yeah. No, but I think the reason why the important, the reason why I'm talking about that is because um, the health side of what I do. So I, I, I support adults who um, have difficulties communicating, but also eating and drinking. And that can be from a variety of reasons like stroke or head and neck cancer or progressive neurological diseases. And working in that type of industry um, can be quite detrimental to your soul, right? Yep. Dealing with people that are dying and death. And it's quite... Um, it's, it's quite a lot to take on mentally. Mm -hmm. And so I was always, I was always a really good swimmer. I always really loved the ocean and the natural world, but I came from a family that traditionally was like, you know, you need to go to school, uni and get a job and a career. And, and there was nothing that I could rationalize to have a job that went that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did that classic sort of school, uni, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I always had that sort of burning essence inside me that wanted to do something with the natural world. And so I started out scuba diving because I think that's a pretty common first step. Eh? You think, 100%. oh, I love the ocean. I'll learn how to scuba dive. Um, and it was cool, but I found it really loud yep. um, and, and, and not so peaceful and clunky and you can't do that. Well, I mean, it's beautiful. It is. You can stay down for long amounts of time, but it wasn't quite the thing I was looking for. Yep. But I stuck to it for a bit and I did it with an ex-partner of mine and um, he started freediving and spearfishing but it was kind of his thing, not mine. So he would do it. I was that classic boat bitch or I held I held the catch bag or, you know, I filleted the fish afterwards and wasn't really the one that went out spearing. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I came out of that relationship that I kind of had this epiphany and was like, I can do that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, why can't I do that? Do you find that despite the negative connotation of feeling like you were the boat bitch or, or whatever you wanted mm. to put it. Did you find that that was almost like, I'm not saying like, let's, hey, look, let's look at the bright side, but it's yeah. almost like serving out an apprenticeship. You get to observe someone else doing something. And so when you go to do totally. it yourself, you've learned a lot of those lessons vicariously. Totally. If the person you're observing was any good. <laughs> but even Burn. if they're not, nah. even if they're not though, like I know in my own work, <laughs> I know what and whether saying, it's spearfishing yeah. or work, like sometimes yeah. you learn a lot of crap from, Watching idiots do stuff or watching you know, their mistakes. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, to totally. And I'm a firm believer of um, mistakes being learning opportunities. You know, mm. there's mm. no such thing really as a mistake unless you keep bloody repeating it. 
Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I definitely learned, um, what not to do and that maybe actually I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I started free diving. I didn't get into spearfishing. I was that person that thought, oh, you know, I'm um, spearfishing is quite barbaric and that's so ruthless. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, but I'm into the free diving part. So I, um, I went along to the Auckland free diving club and did their intro sessions, which were really cool and really informative. But the pool training after that, I mean, it's great, but it was kind of more, I felt more that it was more geared towards competitive free diving and depth yeah. training and things like that. And I was just after the skills that I needed to get in the ocean yep. um, because I needed a way to sort of escape the reality of what I was dealing with at work every day. Yep. And You wanted to get away from chlorine and accountants. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, there are some wonderful people at those free diving nah, yeah, clubs. For sure. oh, no, I'm just being cheeky. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and so but naturally, I think because it was only a couple of years ago that I started, like not even two years ago, and I was going out with my mates that were dudes, and they were often sparrows. And so um, again, like you said, I was just learning by observing, and then doing the freediving thing connected me to. Um, the ocean and to that that seafood and to the natural world even more and I um, decided to stop eating seafood but then I decided but I really like seafood <laughs> shit <laughs> how do I get over that and then I was like well obviously spearfishing's the yeah. um, you know most sustainable way of collecting seafood only but if you do it the right only if you do it the right way like I've maimed a fair few fish to be fair but you're right um, like spearfishing yeah. is barbaric. Like and yeah. and and doing it, you you actually need to embrace that and the responsibility yeah. that comes along with deciding to take an animal's life. And exactly. but but one thing people don't, a lot of people that aren't familiar with spearfishing is that we embrace that side of it and and yep. we accept that and we accept the responsibility that comes along with it. Totally. Well, it's like land based hunting too, eh? Like I went on my first land basing um, land based hunt. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, this is so ruthless too. And then came out realizing it's so, I mean, in the right hands, it's so well, you know, you can have one bullet, one kill, and the rest of the day you're just enjoying the, the natural world yeah. and you're connecting more to it. And so you're closer, closer to that animal, you're closer to that food source and to the, to the environment. So it, the same thing was for spearfishing. And I was like, this isn't barbaric. This is actually, this is epic. And spearfishing isn't just spearfishing, right? It's the whole concept. It's getting out in the water with someone and I love that it's something you enjoy with someone else mainly um you can go out by yourself which you're probably not supposed to but it's something you get to enjoy with others you get to um select your fish you get to connect with it and the process of cooking it and learning all of that kind of the dispatching and everything it's just a whole thing is amazing and so I really connected with that and was like, man, this is epic. So just, I just got balls deep. Eh? I just became obsessed with it and I'm not any good. I'm still really terrible <laughs> at it, but I love it. Yeah, like cool. I just froth on it. And I think that frothy energy is what people also vibed on. And I used to just get chicks sliding into my DMs. And at the time I was single when I first started doing this. And so that was an absolute backfire, right? I'm getting girls messaging me. I was like, wait, hold on. Um, <laughs> and they were just like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. And, you know, how do I get into it? I don't know how to do it. Like, what, what gear do I buy? Where can I go? Who teaches it? And I was like, well, I can't teach you, but maybe there's something we can do here. Um, and sort of saw that nation and started the whole salt co-papa. Um, so, so that's how the 
I mean, I've digressed completely from the question. I don't even remember what it was, but I, I started out spearfishing. The journey to, to the ocean has been lifelong and it's all sort of come together in this weird spiral, um, plus the indigenous side that I love as well. I was going to talk a little bit about that. So yeah. like the freediving spearfishing, it can be really um, calming, I think, for your nervous system. And totally. like you work in speech therapy, which is a human services type industry. I yeah. do something similar, although a little bit perhaps more violent. I'm a correctional officer. Oh, I yeah. find like my work is very people-centric and uh, I deal with a lot of conflict yeah. and um, situations like that. And, and you know, just raw human need and sometimes seeing the sides of life that most people um, unless they're commu- you know, in a similar sort of industry, um, aren't really connected to. And the ocean is, is, is really calming, gives you so much life back, removes inflammation yeah. from your body. What's been your experience with that? Yeah, I totally agree that the ocean, it's kind of that classic conversation where people sort of say, you know, when I'm in the ocean and I feel like it's home and all that, and I, I agree with that, but it's also for me the concept of the fear and the danger. So it's it's actually both. And um, that respect that you have for something so wild and it, and it sort of brings that reality back to you and, and, and it kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it kind of helped me figure out, oh, this sounds so cheesy, but it kind of helped me figure out sort of who I am and delve deeper, yeah. excuse the pun, um, into <laughs> myself and, and, and figure that out. And, and I think it helped me connect more with other people um, and just not to worry about bullshit yeah um but but yeah like you said when you work in those types of industries where you are confronted with um, the realities of stuff that not everyone faces um yeah you kind of need that escape and it um it brings that it's, it's hard to describe but I don't need to describe it when I'm talking to other people that feel that same thing right yeah, yeah. you've got it too but but like I mean like the the wild side of it is also the part that draws you, it's like, because every time I get in the ocean, people think, oh, you know, it's so cool that you connect with it. And it's like, wow, I do. But I'm also quite scared of it at times. Like yeah. um, every time I get in before a dive, still I have that level of not anxiety, but there's always something that goes through me that I'm like, am I going to come out alive today? It forces you into being present too. There's no, you, yeah. you can't go out there and, and give it 50% of your attention. Like because yeah. of that untamable nature, I think that's what that's what um, demands all of yeah. your resources and um, that can be really good when your mind's racing at 100 miles an hour in your normal yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it frustrates me a little bit when people talk about the ocean as this, this place where it's only like it's calm and it's beautiful and it's safe and sharks are amazing and you're puppies and you should be playing with them and it's like, nah, man, as soon as you lose that respect, yep. you're putting yourself in a dangerous position, you know. Um, so it's about the respect for the ocean and, yeah, and you can translate those skills so much into all of your sort of daily living. Yeah, I like it. All right, cool. Let's get back into some infinitely practical sort of stuff. So, Yeah. Because we'll come back to this and we'll, re- we'll circle up again. But uh, in terms of practical issues like um, what about the freediving side of things, like uh, breath hold and equalising, yeah. did you deal with any um, obstacles? No, I, I, surprisingly I had more trouble equalising when I did scuba diving. Um, but for freediving, I um, didn't have much of an issue. I thought um, it was the coolest thing learning how to hold your breath and so and learning how quick it was to get so much better at it. 
in such a short amount of time. And that concept of sort of mindfulness and relaxation, I just thought it was amazing because you can translate, like we were saying before, you can translate that into everyday life. But yeah, equalizing wasn't so much of an issue. But recently on a freediving camp that we ran for salt, um, we did have a few girls have issues with the equalizing, which can just be this barrier, but it's almost like a mindset as well. Yeah. Uh, like physiologically, yep, you can have difficulties, but also it's quite often in your mind. And if you can break through that, then you can get through it. But when I did my, I only recently did an actual freediving course, um, an SSI, just the level one. And I remember getting down to a certain, it was like 17 meters. It, it was exactly 17 meters. And I couldn't <laughs> get past it. I just couldn't. I would get like go down and get to that point and just start freaking out. Yep. I could see the 20 meter mark. That's all I was trying to make, 20 meters. It was like a few more kicks. Yep. And that 17 meters, I just blocked every time. And I'd come back up and my dive instructor, Sam, he was such a legend. He would just, he was just like, it's in your head. And I was like, I'm going to drown. This yep. can't be possible. And he was like, just get over it. It's in your head. A few more kicks, it's fine. And, and you know, like calm down and brought me back, really relaxed yourself. And he went down with me and I got to 20 meters and I was like, oh, that was just the same as the 17 meter mark. <laughs> yeah. But I was so proud, but it's those mental blocks that you can always progress with free diving. You're only fighting against yourself. Mm. Um, so it's that, yeah, I thought that was really cool. The numbers game and free diving can be a little bit, um, I don't know, is it just a bloke thing? Like we just want to get to these magical numbers in our minds. Is, it, is that yeah. a thing for you? I don't know. I think, well, the only reason we were getting to 20 was because I think that's how to, oh, no, actually I think you passed the level one at like 10 or 15. Maybe yeah. I was just, Maybe I was just getting a bit macho on it, but not that 20 metres is the furthest, you know, type of freediving. It's just, it's more for me, like my comfortable zone is like 10 metres and really the fish that I want to get is between 10 and 15 metres anyway. Yep. Like, or five metres, you know. Mm, mm, mm. So pushing myself to those depths isn't, isn't something that interests me. It's like with spearfishing, competitive spearfishing, Catching the biggest fish doesn't interest me. Um, and maybe I'm using that as an excuse because I'm still really shit. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just, it doesn't interest me. People are always like, oh, when are you going to do a spearfishing comp? And it's like, I don't feel like I need to prove anything to anyone because that's not what I'm trying to do it for. So I completely understand why people do it. And I completely understand why people do the competitive freediving. It's so cool and admirable, but it's just not my vibe. That's not what I'm there to do. I share some of your thoughts, but I think the spearfishing competition things, it's a little bit like spearfishing itself. Like you look on mm. it and you just sort of have these doubts and these ideas about it, but then you do it and there's more to it than meets the eye. I think the experience of itself like requires something extra. And I think competitions have changed yeah. from the old way of doing it where it was just, I mean, there are still some competitions where maybe the ethics around how they go about it is, is not managed great, but... <laughs> Mm. Um, but I think for the most part now, competitions, are, it's about community, it's about coming together. Yeah, there's a competition going on, but it's kind of like learning to be very strategic with the way you hunt and your approach totally. things as well. So I am going to have some more of a go. I'm actually thinking about coming over to the New Zealand Champs next year, maybe the Mercury oh, yeah. Bay one that's just been on. I've already got a dive buddy teed up for it, so I'm going to see if I can come along. Hopefully this COVID BS is gone or, you know. Oh, I know. It's yeah. so frustrating. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying with the with the com competitive spearfishing and my opinion is purely because um, I haven't done it before. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, it doesn't interest me because, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got, maybe I'm just that way inclined, but you never know how that might change. There have been tempted to do there was one in Coromandel recently that I was tempted to do and that yeah. was because my mate was running it and also 
Um, you can see, like you said, the values have completely changed now. And so it's not to go out there and kill as much as you can or only get the biggest fish, you know, and you can see the cool stuff like the, um, the catfish cows and those, those kind of competitions as well. And, and you're right. And it brings the community, brings the community together and gets people meeting each other as well, which is so important and community, um, is just, yeah, the best thing for, for anything really. For sure. For sure. Maybe maybe I'll have to be your new spearfishing competitive dive buddy. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> come over in the noob spear and the salt sister. We, yeah, we could do a mixed pair thing. That sounds good. <laughs> what about, so the free diving thing, you, you, you work past some depth barriers. What about the hunting side of things mm. and the equipment? Yeah, um, <laughs> equipment. I'm using the same equipment that I started with and the, I have like an old, I think it's a free diver. Gun. Okay. Um, yep, that good and guns. it was just because it was, it, yeah, it was my dad's. Not that my dad ever spearfished or free dived. He just had it in the garage. And I just got it re It was old and I got it re rigged with some really long, bright pink rubbers. <laughs> um, and, and so I could load it because that was what I used to struggle with a lot was loading spear guns. Yeah. So I still have that and I just keep getting the rubbers replaced. I love it, except now it's getting a bit sticky, the trigger, which has been frustrating for me. But I just kind of refuse to get a new one, although I am being told I need to get a Rob Allen apparently. Um, the free divers <laughs> um, are also made in South Africa and they're a well-made spear gun. Has it got oh, the, yeah. the black barrel and the blue lettering on that one? No, not the blue lettering. Okay. It's got white lettering. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I've got David Dupav on hounding me on my ass. You need a Rob Allen, Winton, yeah. ruler. <laughs> well, David's <laughs> a good man. Hear. I've had a few yeah. good chats with him over the time. Yeah. I can just hear that in my head, eh? No, so I've still got my same um, spear gun. I've still got my same wetsuit, which is just a, the oh, – it's pretty much like one of the only women's bloody moray – more a women's wetsuit. It's just that generic chicks one that most people have. A um, there's not very many options for us. I could go on for hours about that. Um, <laughs> have a winch. Have this, a winch. No, honestly, this one makes me look like I have balls. Like the little strap bit that comes in and around. Like it's just like this big bulky, like waiting for a pair of balls to just be sitting in there. But unfortunately, there's nothing there. But um, and it's just kind of. A little, like it's, it does its job for sure, but it's man, I just wish there were women's cut wetsuits. Wet um, but again, in saying that, I am, I appreciate that I even have one. And every time I rip holes in it, I'm patching them. So I still have it. It's still the same wetsuit. I just forever am dreaming of the day that I can get one, maybe custom made, but I don't have a million dollars yet. So there are a number of custom yeah. options for women. I've recently heard some good things about an Epsilon wetsuit for women. Yes. But- but there's some yes. real exciting things around the corner because, like, totally. you know, we live in an, in, in an economic reality and I think um, a lot of spearfishing companies were, you know, a lot of gear manufacturers are, are men and they yeah. understand that the spearfishing and free dive, well, the spearfishing market is predominantly men, like 95%. And you're already totally. talking about a, a, rel- a very niche sport. But yeah. now the the proportion of women divers entering the sport is, is increasing and... It's just skyrocketing, eh? Yeah, I think I think there's a change in mindset. And I think like yeah. um, women kind of need this, so they seem to need some baseline numbers in order to yep. facilitate a community and then that helps them grow into it faster. I, I'm not going to try and virtue signal here. I think a, hmm. a lot of um, spearfishing clubs inadvertently were just quite male-oriented because of hmm. um, traditionally like that, that was the way it was going. And I think the clubs valued the women that were in them, but there just wasn't enough to start a significant community and um mm. yeah so well I mean I'd love to hear your thoughts on it though. yeah well and I think um yeah I agree with what you're saying and that it's the same in sort of all industries that you can kind of argue like it's a it's a 
it was a kind of man's world and it's it's funny people think they've kind of typecasted me as this like raging feminist and it's kind of yeah. it's frustrating because it comes with a negative connotation but yeah. all we're trying to do really is increase women numbers and get chicks motivated to get out there and do it and I had this conversation with someone the other day about wetsuits because mm. I was like my god we just need more and it's not that we need like one new epsilon one we just need more options yeah. um and, and, and women need to be designing them because a lot of the female cuts are actually still designed by men and it's like, man, do you have boobs? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you know how sore it gets when you load your gun? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you chest load your spear gun or are you hip Yes, hip my loading? chest right now, I went out yesterday, it's so sore. Yeah. Apparently a jandal. I need to start putting a jandal down there. Um, Just for the international community, uh, a jandal is, I think, <laughs> known as a thong or a flip-flop depending on yeah. which country you're in. But, yeah, you can soar off the back and then um, yeah. and then just sort of jam that down there and fix it in place and that's a great yeah. loading pad. It's far more heavy duty than most of the wetsuits with their current um, padding. Yeah. So I went, yeah, so apparently the jandal works. But um, I was having this conversation with someone, I can't remember who it was, about the wetsuits and I was sort of saying, I, I understand the concept where like if there's a small niche in terms of a feasibility for a business that's kind of, you know, it's not the best option for a lot of companies, but the problem and I, the the thing in my mind is that I don't necessarily think, especially now these days, there's not, it's not that there's a smaller niche. It's just that it's not been allowed to flourish or um, grow. And so if there's the, if there are those access points, for example, gear that is made for women, you're reducing that barrier for them to enter the sport. So it's creating that that access for women to get into it a bit more confidently and, and easily rather than going, oh, I'll just go buy this um, like small men's or large boys gear, um, which is what I have to do. And giving that access and it sort of goes down that discussion of equality and equity now, isn't it? So, and, and facilitating stuff for minority groups. But um, but once it's there, you can see how many girls froth on it. Like maybe they're not going to go out there and be like, I'm going to ca- um, catch or spare like the world's biggest kingfish or whatever. But the, the, the type of vibe that I'm getting these days is chicks want to get in the water. They want to be able to provide for their families and for themselves and be that badass wahine inside and just be facilitated to do that. I think in a, in, a, in a capitalist world too, like one of the benefits of this this world we live in is that there's a problem, right? We don't have enough mm. women's wetsuits on the market. Sounds yeah. to me like there's a fantastic opportunity there for a female entrepreneur that wants to design a wetsuit um, or, or, a range of, or a range of wetsuits, you know what I mean? Watch the space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was saying to the person I, was, I remember who I was speaking to. The person that I was speaking to, I said, you know, if you were to develop that amazing range, not just one, like a range, of, and not just wetsuits, like whatever it is, um, then you've got the market. The market's there. It's just not been unleashed. So, um, so yeah. I mean, it's exciting. And it's so unfair when you're on the boat and you need to go to the toilet. I'm just, I was trying so hard one time to design this female scupper. Like, I know you can get zips and I know you can get, like, all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, man, there's so much room for error in that. I know someone um, that's working on this problem. Really? Yeah. Because I have an idea, so I could let me know who they are and I'll give them my idea too. I can definitely do that. Yes, I will introduce you to them. Yeah, awesome. Are you in the market for a new spear gun? Killshot Spear Guns has got blue water wahoo tuna guns, open track spear guns, enclosed track spear guns, rear handle enclosed tracks. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. 
even better, I've got some good news for you. You can save $30 on any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB. If you're in store, just say crikey, mate, or say Shrek from the Noob Spiro sent you, and you'll save $30. Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Check them out. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. Well, we'll have that discussion after as well. I wanted to carry on with the minority groups. Um, mm. I know you're passionate about it. You've been accused of being a feminist, and I see you lift your own eyebrows at some of the language that's used, sustainable and holistic, and yeah. and uh, it gets corny and wafy, and, and, and yeah. a lot of people frown at it. Um, yeah. But, I, like, I know you've worked as a cultural advisor at a hospital, mm. and, you know, you work in New Zealand speech therapy. New Zealand in general leans quite hard to the left, which is a delicate mm. environment to be free in the way you speak and act at times, I think. That's um, true. Um, I wanted to ask you how you steer clear of virtue signalling but while still communicating uh, powerful messages and assisting people. Well, it's, um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky one. And to be fair, when like the time that I spent doing the – I use cultural advisor. I don't even – I hate that term, to be fair. It's just the only term that people can sort of resonate with maybe. And feminist, they're horrible words. Um, but um, I've, copped, I've copped a lot in both of those sort of positions. And I think – you have to develop a really strong skin in that respect and keep trying to make sure that you hold your values true to yourself and make sure that you're still, you're still sending across the right message and the right information. Um, I think I've been held accountable a few times, of, um, you know, and it, it's, it's your own kind that can, that can kind of question what you're doing in the way that you're doing it. So it's women that can often question what I'm doing and it's Māori that can often question that what I'm doing and that hurt, it kind of hurts the most. But what it does is actually realign your thought processes and it makes you check in with yourself to make sure actually am I, am I saying the right thing and is it the right, am I going about it the right way? But, but yeah, I think Salt Sisters is a, is a beautiful platform that we use to try and promote those values and concepts of, we talk about mana wahine as sort of women empowerment, um, kaitiakitanga as guardianship, which is quite a commonly used one in, in Aotearoa, and tuakana taina, which is like a, it's a concept of mentorship when someone that's more experienced can um, support someone that's less experienced or younger or whatever. But holding that responsibility is really difficult and being able to manage everybody's perspectives and opinions constantly challenges me and makes me question what I'm doing and, and if I'm even if I should even be bothering so yeah like it can be soul destroying so the the jobs that I did as cultural advisor and whatever and in, in both the sort of forums that I did that in genuinely destroyed my soul 
because you get typecasted and you get categorized and you're a brown tick box. I mean, you've got all these expectations and you're supposed to be that spokesperson, but then you don't know if you're saying the right things and then you get brought down if you are saying this thing and then not supported if you're saying the other. And it's sort of the same with the the um, sort of female empowerment movement. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, and I don't even know if I'm doing it right. I think if you have the right intentions and if someone challenges you that you at least take that on and, and look back and reflect on what you're talking about and see if, if that's actually, you know, um, coming from somewhere that's valid, then you're, you've always got that sort of opportunity. To go, oh God, I don't even know if I've answered your question. I've digressed again. No, it's good. It's perfect. It's a good diversion. Um, what's your iwi? Yeah. I'm Ngāti Ranginoi, which is in Tauranga. Um, Hangaro um, Marae. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm indigenous to New Zealand, but I, I talk a lot about indigeneity and I don't mean it in the terms of just Maori and New Zealand. It's sort of reconnecting with your roots from wherever you come from. And I'm really interested in how that can um, influence lots of things. It can influence your spearfishing or your ocean journey or your career or whatever it is, your spirituality and and moving towards sort of that more indigenous way of life. Um, but I'm also indigenous to Albania. Um, wow. and and also Scotland or a variation yeah. of the sort. Yeah, so I'm a mixed breed, I'm like an SPCA puppy. Like most Kiwis. And um, it's just funny how in touch or out of touch you are with your cultural heritage and um, yeah. culture means different things to different people. It's a very delicate space to um, Ooh, to so operate delicate. in. it's so delicate. Yeah, um, easy yeah. to get yourself in the shit, um, which, I, yes. which I seem to do all the time and... People mostly understand that I have the empathy of a carrot and, um, you know, but I do my best. And um, there's a grassroots movement in New Zealand that started too. There's a Facebook group that I recently become aware of called, is it Wahine Divers? And it's like a... <gasps> under- How amazing. It's an underground yes. group for women that fish and gather kaimana, which is seafood. And and um, I think there's like six and a half thousand members. So, I mean, we were talking yeah. about a small market before. I mean, in a country of... I mean. In a country of five million people, there's already six and a half thousand. um, That Facebook group is the perfect example of what we were talking about. I thought that it only just started a little while ago Mm. and um, I just could not believe it. The majority of people there are wahine, Māori, or, you know, even if they're not, you know, they're just New Zealanders, Kiwi women that... that are just absolutely frothing to get in the ocean and learn those um, those skills, whether that was the skills of your ancestors or not, um, and just getting back into the ocean and 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 being able to gather the kaimoana. That one speci- is quite specific to gathering kaimoana uh, or yep. seafood, but also just learning how to dive. And I think a lo- at the level of a lot of the people on that Facebook group, and this is just what I've observed, I'm, def- I'm not speaking on behalf of them, I'm, I'm not yep. at all... Um, Part of the hosting or anything, I think they're amazing. But um, there's so many really, really, really new divers, mm. and so that's what I mean. If you can facilitate that market to get involved, then you know if you're selling a product or a service and you do it well and you gear it towards them, man, look at all those people you can be helping. This is a problem with some of these groups, though. Too, some people take a dim view on for-profit, um, you know, um, operations. It's like it has yeah. to be not for profit to be to be. Oh, let's use inverted God, commas. Good. Start me on and, that. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think um, I, I agree with you. Like, there's a there's a market there. You serve that market's needs, and you solve their problems, and you you deliver them products and services, and it's a good thing. Totally. While we're talking about this, we can move straight into Solstice. It's, it's a nice little neat yeah. transition here. Um, cool. You guys run events. Tell me about Salt Sisters. 
So Salt Sisters, I mean, I started that a yeah, couple of years ago, um, kind of in line with my journey towards spearfishing. Um, and essentially it's a community aimed at connecting women to themselves and to the ocean and to other people, uh, other women, um, and to sort of try and bridge those barriers that we were talking about, about getting uh, getting women into these ocean activities. And spearfishing and freediving is one of them, but it's not the only. So, you know, we're talking about surfing, underwater photography, scuba diving, anything that tickles your fanny, you know. Um, it's just whatever whatever you're into, if it connects you to the ocean, um, we're into it. But the, the reason it came about was because when I was getting into spearfishing, I found it really male-dominated and that's just because that's the reality. And I got really nervous, you know, even just walking into a dive shop and and not knowing the words to use to even buy a spare gun like I would like a wetsuit please and one times spare gun that I can load like I don't know what to talk about but it was really nerve-wracking and I knew that that in itself is enough of a barrier for someone to just not even bother um so uh, that's just one example of it like the, the, you know when you go out on a spearfishing chatter or whatever or you know even just going out with mates it's always guys and I love spearfishing with guys don't get me wrong but it makes it more daunting for a chick who hasn't ever done it before, maybe doesn't have that partner or that dad to take them out to get into it. Yeah. So that was the premise of Salt Starting was my journey into spearfishing and to um, make it more accessible for women. So you you had a problem you experienced yourself and then you've basically tried to solve it by creating a, something for others that can also help bridge that gap. Exactly. So I went from trying to bridge Māori inequities in the health system <laughs> and thought, this is soul-destroying, I'm not doing this ever again. And it was like, oh, I'll go to the ocean and now I'm bloody doing the same but for women. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of stitched myself up there. Yeah. Um, Seems to be a consistent orientation. Yeah, I know. I see a problem and I'm like, that's not right. Um, so, so yeah, so that's how it started. And look, it started as a little Instagram page and it kind of went all these funny little pathways. And then I connected with Amber, who was supposed to be on this interview, but we'll have to have her for next time. So I connected with her and the story about how we met is actually quite a funny one too. Um, and we met and just absolutely vibed and hit it off and we've shared the same values, the same sort of interests, the same struggles. And, um, we've sort of created salt sisters and we facilitate that community and that connection through running um, events, workshops and sort of weekends away. So that's what we do. Has COVID disrupted things? It has very much disrupted things. It was, it's been really frustrating. We're actually having to look at how we re sort of structure it a little bit business-wise because as much as we'd love to be constantly running a lot of these events, they just keep getting cancelled. Yeah. And it's it's just becoming so frustrating that we can't deliver as much as we'd like to. So we're re-looking at it a little bit and how we can change it a little bit. Um, but essentially, we'll still be trying to facilitate that community through through trips and events, but also maybe other stuff as well. Give me, give me um, a couple of events you've run, like um, specifically. So, oh, man, we ran... So our first one was a surf camp. That was really awesome. We had um, Maddie Scorrange, who's an expert surfer, come in and teach the ladies how to do some more specific skill training in their surfing. But I thought the coolest one was our our freediving one. So we we ran a really, really fun freediving camp, and it was an SSI level one. So we were actually getting people trained in freediving because – my theory, my I think the best piece of advice I ever got was to learn to freedive first 
anyway, so that you're not trying to learn two things at once. And so if you can don't have, if you don't have to think about your free diving as much, then you just have to focus on the spearing. Yeah. Um. So my my hope was that to or our hope was that to carve that way for women, but also in a safe way. So getting them actually trained properly and free diving properly and safely. So we um, connected with um, Sam Jupe, who does SSI stuff. And he helped us run this epic freediving camp at Kaiwi Lakes. I don't know if you've ever been I've there. I've been to Kaiwi Lakes. I actually had a camp there when I went to school, Camp Kaiwi. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, so many camps there, eh? Yeah. Um, it's just beautiful. It's tropical. And I think in the time of COVID, it was like our little trip to Tahiti. Yep. We just needed to Photoshop some of those bloody stingrays or whatever they were, whatever they are that everyone has those photos with in the, in yep. the imagery. But... Um, but we had 12 chicks come in. Um, they, majority of them hadn't, I don't think ever really free dived before. Some of them had a little bit. Some of them were absolutely brand new. And they were smashing 20 meters, you know. Most of them were getting, um, a lot of them were getting to 20, not all of them, but, and, you know, we were talking about a bit of equalizing problems. But it was cool because it was the vibe of the camping, you know. It kind of takes you back to the basics. We're all sharing kai. We were doing stretching and a bit of yoga in the morning and yep. um, having beers at the in the evening. And it was just awesome. Um, and the chicks were just absolutely frothing and they were just couldn't wait to learn the spearfishing part. And I think when we run it again, because this is kind of an, an annual event that we want to run, I really want to do some just the basic spearfish intro information and and maybe some target practice or something because I think in Kaiwi you know there's nothing out there so you could just chuck a target up and just get people learning how to shoot a gun yeah um I like I like the idea of learning the free diving in isolation too like apart yeah. from without having to worry about hunting and moving waves and you know totally. all, all of the body language and stuff like you just and once you can relax and hold your breath and dive down yep. and touch the bottom you're, that's the position you want to be in to shoot fish, and and that's exactly. where the hunt, that's where the hunting begins. So, yeah, exactly. I, there's some old mm. ideas though that that say you know free diving's not relevant, but like a lot of even if you're hunting in relatively shallow water, like 30 feet, learning to free dive or do your stage one, mm. like if if you don't have a background in that, mm. like and you haven't grown up with a mentor, like it's fantastic. Like you you know it's definitely not wasted and. I just did a free diving retreat too. I bloody really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to. I would love to be able to get up to. Um, that was the, that's the goal to get up to the instructor's level, and not to necessarily be an instructor. I mean, it would be fine. To, it'd be great to have that as a skill, but more just to sort of one validate what we're doing, but two just know those skills inside out and be that comfortable in the water and constantly challenging yourself. But I mean, I, I don't think that everyone needs to do that, but at least a level one or at least yeah. an intro, the amount yeah. of people that I've spoken to that don't, don't know how to rescue yep. or, or don't know what, like how to avoid a blackout or. Well, those, those, those pool training groups like that Auckland Freedive Club, you would have learned how to do a rescue there, I'd imagine. That's exactly what we learned. And that's why that, that, um, we intro course was just so valuable yeah. and was what and was what I based everything on for a while until I did this actual level one. Yeah. Um, so I think, and the reason why it took me so long to do my level one was just that there aren't that many options. So it's actually really hard to find the courses and there's not that many instructors running them. Yeah. So it's hard. So at least an intro will give you that basic theory, I think. A lot of people whinge about the cost. I mean, probably average cost is around $500 for a stage one and, and it probably goes yeah. north from there. But like the, the instructors aren't really making much money they're out of that. Not, like, they're really not. Yeah. And it's like even our freediving camp, we weren't, we, we, 
weren't even really breaking even, but um, it looked like it cost a lot, but actually at the end of the day, it was, you know, we had to pay for everything, the instructors and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it's, you're getting the course out of it in a, in a qualification, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's yeah, tricky. yeah. But, but even that's why if you're not even doing a level one, even just an intro, like we run intro pool sessions. Yep. So that's, that's not a level one. It's just an evening in the pool where you learn pretty much the theory and the basic skills of rescuing and statics and all that kind of stuff. So at least we can get people at that level of safety when, before they're getting out into the water. 100% love it. Love it. Where can people find out about the Salt Sisters? Yeah. So Salt Sisters, um, is there's a website, so saltsisters.co.nz and our Instagram, which is saltnz. Cool. I'll link up everything we discussed today and today's show notes at noobspira.com forward slash saltsisters anyway. But um, so people can come and find any of the links and stuff we chat about in there. Have you got any trip vids or stuff I should include in that? Yeah, actually, conveniently, Amber, my business partner, who uh, is an amazing photographer and videographer, so oh, wow. she's got content for days. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, we can send you some cool stuff um, cool. from our camps and things. Oh, good. Back to infinite practicalities, hunting species, um, gathering seafood. Yes. What sort of, what are you in the middle of learning right now? Uh, well, <laughs> um, how to not die spearing a kingfish. No, um, I, I'm i really interested in learning about the underdog species. And uh, sorry if that's kind of more the boring answer, but it's more sort of picking the more sustainable options. Like I find, although in saying that, Hunting for kingfish I find really fun. And that's not just because you're finding kingfish, but with kingfish come koheru and come all those other cool fish and those schooling Mau Mau and Trevally, and I just think that's amazing. So I do like looking for kingfish. I've maimed, like I said earlier, I have hurt a few, unfortunately, but it kind of comes part and parcel when you're learning. Yeah. But I love getting out on a nice pinnacle and and just being deep and exposed to all the beauty that's out there but I'm really interested in learning more about what sustainable options there are within the locality that you're diving in so it's more around you know in the coro maybe not smashing all the snapper and the crayfish and picking the um I think the other day I went out on a little shore dive and got those little, are they jack mackerel? Is that what they're called? Those shitty little bait fish that everyone bags. But they're so delicious. And it's the concept of finding that sustainable fish and getting it and then cooking it. So when I think of spearfishing, I'm not thinking of just killing a fish like you were explaining. It's that whole process from start to finish. How do you target Jack Mackerel? So where where do you go and then... I don't know, he just shot out. But um, no, those ones I find often when you're doing... Well, when I was shore diving, so just going up and sort of hiding around and they come swimming in and they're kind of the ones that everyone looks for, for like, you know, it's an example of a bait fish so that the big fish come in. But, um, you know, Jack Mackerel, but Kohero. I think they're becoming more popular now, but they are another favourite of mine as well because when you shoot them, they they kind of go... And then that also brings in the kingfish, which is my favourite way to get kingfish is shooting a kohe first. But, But yeah, targeting those underdogs. And it's actually more... The thing that I'm interested in is actually learning about that that fish and knowing why that that's the better one to target maybe out here versus over there or whatever. 
oldmanblue.com.au. The people at Old Man Blue absolutely froth on the sparing life. They intentionally make super hard wearing and super practical gear that will stand the test of time. Visit them at oldmanblue.com.au. They continue to develop new products. But if you want a lobster bag that will stand the test of time, visit oldmanblue.com.au. If you want a bridle insertion tool, visit oldmanblue.com.au. If you want a fish stringer, a shark clip, a lobster loop that will perform and last, visit oldmanblue.com.au. So is that something you guys might do in the future is get like local marine biologists and stuff to discuss like how certain species interact with their ecosystem, signs that they're vulnerable yeah. at, the, at a particular time during the year, like, you know, talking about spawning seasons and things like that. and Totally, totally. And, and that's what um, obviously we don't have, like we're, uh, Amber and I aren't scientists, you know, we're frothers, but we don't know the specific um, science around that. And so that's when we bring in the experts. So one trip that we had planned, which got bloody cancelled because of COVID, um, was our rewilding weekend. So that was more about connecting women to the ocean in general. It wasn't specific to spearfishing or freediving or surfing. It was sort of an all-encompassing one. Yep. And we were we were staying on some beautiful Maori land and incorporating things like crystal hunting and learning about the land as well as the ocean. Um, but we were going we were going to go out with our mates Ash and Shona who are um, local to the Fitianga area, Ngati Hay. And they have a company called Sea Cave Adventures and they take people out on these beautiful tours and teach them about, you know, the indigenous history, but also the geology and about the fisheries. And they they know everything about that's local to their area. And so we were going to use them to um, facilitate a beautiful sort of ocean adventure where we can get in and out of the water, but also learn about the environment which would hopefully encourage people to go, cool, well, when I'm going up north, maybe I'll... doesn't mean you have to go and knock on the door of the marae and be like, yo, what's the like fisheries doing? Or like, <laughs> you know, but it's just doing a little bit of research and thinking what's in this area, what should I be targeting versus maybe what should I leave to grow? Um, what time of year is it? Blah, blah, blah. And in saying that, I'm not an expert. I don't know. It's just it's yep. part of the journey, but that's the yeah. type of thinking we want to encourage. So for sure, yeah. For sure. Sounds yeah. good. So with your Jack Mackerel or your Kohiru, um, how are you cooking them up? Kohero, um, again, thanks to Dave and ET, that is done aged day three and sashimi. Oh, yeah. That's my favourite. Um, but the Jack Mackerel was cool. So I just cleaned it in the ocean, so like scaled it and everything, because I really like small whole bait fish. I think that's my European side. And my mum, who's the Albanian one, she loves small fried fish, so sardines and anchovies and all that kind of stuff. And I love them too. And it's really difficult because when you're spearfishing, it's like you're getting like snapper and kingies and stuff and you're not really getting these tiny little bait fish, which is what I really love. So I got this little mackerel and I um, cleaned it all up and I actually just, I butterflied it. I did a really poor job. It was terrible. I had to watch like 50 YouTube video clips. Um, I butterflied it, butchered it, um, but then just blistered it on the real, um, really hot on the grill. Yep. And then made this yummy little, it was kind of like a Vietnamese little drizzle over the top of it and it was beautiful. Sounds good. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, One of the, um, I think, you know, Tim Kaverman, eh? His his sort of eat what you kill page has been a real inspiration for food processing. Yeah. Actually haven't mentioned um, eat what you kill for a a while. Jeep, some of the photography and recipes he's got on there are just excellent. And um, That's so cool, eh? There's a number of these initiatives starting up. I really love them. Like um, Mm. in California, they got finandforage.com, another Really cool website, very similar ide- ideology and, and uh, philosophy behind it, like Eat What You Kill um, from Tim. Yeah. 
But um, these these places are just fantastic for expanding, you know, because a lot of um, Spiros get their two to three go-to recipes and and, yeah. and and I'm guilty of this and I smash them. And then uh, mm. I do them over and over and over again and then I, sometimes you just, because you get back from a day spearfishing and you just do what you know. Totally. And um, these kind of groups, they help people be more intentional and just think a little bit more about it. I've actually got a book. And I'm planning, and I'd love for you maybe oh, cool. to contribute, Renee. It's called 99 yeah. Spiro Recipes, which is all about this idea. And Tim and um, and Eric from uh, Finn and Forage, these are two of the people that I'm asking for for submissions and 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 to get them involved because um, it's going to be crowdfunded recipes, 100. percent And oh, cool. uh, yeah, who, where did you get your Jack mackerel from? Was that from Eat What You Kill? That wasn't from Eat What You Kill, but oh. it, was, it was kind of semi-inspired by there's one dude on Eat, Eat What You Kill actually that was a little bit of an inspiration. I can't remember his name, but he does a lot with cool little bait fish and that underdog species. Um, but then also oh, it was also a bit of oh, Google as well. Not Blair. No, not Blair, not Blair. Okay. Um, but And I think that's what is so cool about things like Eat What You Kill or your book that you're making is that if you inspire people to be having these delicious recipes, then they're going to want to go and potentially target those other ones to relieve the pressures on maybe the snapper and the crayfish. Yeah. Not, not to say that I don't. Like I still love those those species, but it's it's about being a bit more creative. So I'm really um, interested as well in using not just for spearfishing, but, you know, freediving for other sort of not power in the north is bloody if all of those around, but, you know, like those cooks turbines and the kelp and utilising all the different um, resources that there are. New Zealand Fisheries Management, um, like most fisheries, um, they do some things really well and they do some things like that could be improved for sure. But from what I've yeah. seen of the New Zealand <laughs> fishery, they, they do a lot of awesome stuff. So, yeah, there's positive things happening as well. It's not all negativity. To- totally. And in the commercial, like, sector, as much as, like, as a choice that I made, I wasn't going to, like, I've stopped eating commercially caught fish, but that's not a very achievable goal for everyone. So it's like if you're leading by example with that, that's not that's not going to make much of an effect for anyone else really. But it's about how, like, you know, how can you encourage someone to choose more sustainably, right? So making, you know, voting with your dollar and picking a commercial setup that's more um, ethical and sustainable, you know, like down south there's, you know, native gravity fishing. I know does some really cool stuff with the commercial, in the commercial sector. It's just small scale, you single hook long lining and yeah. all sorts and takes people out on trips to be able to pass that knowledge on. So when I talk about indigenous sort of perspectives, it's that concept of knowledge sharing and um, connecting with the environment. And he does that, I think, really well down south. Um, yeah. Cool. Good to hear about. We're going to move on. I want to chat about <laughs> funny stuff. And uh, I don't yes. know if you've listened to the podcast much, but I'm very <laughs> partial to a poo story. And I haven't. I don't think I've had many girl poo stories. Have you got a girl poo story for me? <laughs> well, I don't have Sorry a, to put the pressure on you. I don't have a – I love a good poo story too oh, and good. a good fart joke. But um, – uh, and aquapoos are always even funnier. I yeah. haven't got a personal poo story, um, but um, I do remember the day that the person that I was diving with, one day my dive buddy went and he, it was probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. He went out and <laughs> done his little aquapoo and we turned around, like fanged off on the boat, turned around and um, the birds suddenly got really excited. And I was like, what's going over there? There's a workup. This is awesome. Look at that. And we got over there and it was just his poo just <laughs> all over the surface. And these birds were just absolutely smashing it. And it actually made me dry reach. It was foul, man. It was, it was so gross. So, so gross. But 
yeah, post stories. It's a bit hard, I think, being a girl. It's 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 tricky. You've, yeah. Yeah, you want to be all feminine, feminine and respectable. And here I am asking you to tell me about waffle stomp stories at the Auckland um, Freediving Club. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. It was a good story. Maybe if they made pooing a bit more accessible for us, we would. No, I'm um, <laughs> Well, poo- pooing's not really accessible for anyone that spears. Um, and even uh, like you were talking about the unique female problems with um, urinating, like yeah. the blokes don't have it much easier. We've got these awful percent things that come along. Uh, pff, I don't know. Like I, I would love to, like a, a pissy smelling wetsuit is terrible, like whether you're so a guy gross. or a girl. Yeah, so so, but those at least you got like you've got the anatomy to like use one of those neoprene bloody condom things. That's but, a percent, yeah. Um, yeah, but the um, but the whether it's pooing or weeing, girls like when with the dungaree majiggies, mm. um, you still have to take everything off, and then you're all completely all your butt ass naked. So like you end up sort of slicing your um, thing in half so that you can at least pull it down. But, oh, yeah, like just, a high waisted rather than the the Farmer John. Um, yeah, man, I yeah. I rate those much better. Maybe they need to do a bum scupper or something. No, that that'd just be gross. Mm. <laughs> waste the joys of waste. I mean, but spearfishing puts us back in touch with uh, with food. It, it also puts you back in touch with the realities of toilet because yeah, I man, mean, totally. Otherwise, most people just go in a toilet. You've got you know four ply toilet paper and you just flush that sucker down these big industrial plumbing systems that we take for granted. Whereas when yeah. you're out spearfishing, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, um, yeah. there's the toilet, um, hop in the water and do your business. And do um, it. Like what if you need to wipe a little bit? You just use a bit of kelp or something. Nah, I just, did have this one time where when I jumped off the boat, mm. I had snagged on the side of like something that was sticking out yep. and it ripped this giant hole right on my bum. And so I spent the whole day obviously like fitting with your ass facing the sun and um, a couple of days later, my friend was like, what is that on your ass? And that's the most horrific thing to hear. Right? He was like, oh, God, what have I done? Have I shit myself? Um, and so I went into the mirror and turned around, and it looked like I'd sat in a pot of, like, Nutella or fake tan <laughs> or something, and I sat there for so long. I was like, what the hell is it? It looks like I've shit myself. What is this? And it was just the perfect Whole the, the, the suntan, suntan from the whole, and it was so dark, I couldn't believe it. So it kind of looked like I shit myself. So I guess that can be my poo story. It would be that Albanian or that Maori blood in you. Totally. It's all that melanin getting in the sun. All right, let's let's get back into infinite practicalities again. Uh, your dive bag. Um, so you, you mentioned your freediver's spear gun, and you've yep. got the Moray woman's wetsuit. Yep, that's been patched up. From all those holes, I like refuse to get a new one. So then I've also got I like to um dive with a float boat yep. because I'm still a bit of a chicken when it comes to sharks. Yeah, and fair I just enough. feel I don't know if it's um yeah, I mean I just feel a bit safe for having one. Yeah. Um well, you just shot, chuck my fish in. You just shot the fish. Like, why do you want sharks to eat it? Like Exactly. I don't want to feed them. Or Put eat, them in a boat. Or eat me. So I've got that, a wetty. That, that wetty boat float's fantastic. Yep, Is yep. that the one and you I've got? And I've just got the small one. Yep. So, and that seems to do the trick. And it does mean like sometimes when I've taken people out that haven't really been diving much, they can kind of rest on it mm-hmm. as well. So it's a bit of a life um, raft if you're doing a shore dive. But um, so I've got that. But my most favorite prized piece of my kit are my, um, my fins. And that's just because they've got these beautiful whales on them designed designed by Naomi Gittos, that designer in um, Byron Bay. She does the a dive R fins. Ah. 
Um, yep, yep. And my dream would be to get some custom ones designed. But I, I saw those fins on a friend of mine um, had them in, in Tonga when I went swimming with the whales. And I'd been wanting them for ages. And I had I saved up all my pennies for them. And I saw you been to Vavau. I saw that in yes. one of your things. I've been there too. I spent a month yeah. there. How long did you get there? Only a couple of weeks. It was, um, it was, yeah, with a fleeting visit. But man, it was cool. It was, it's awesome, eh? Yeah. I went a little while ago now, but, um, but me too. Oh, I was eighteen, yeah. so I'm f- oh, turning forty this year. So it was 21, 22 years ago now. So jeepers. Um, oh, it, things must have changed since then, though. I, I'm, I'm actually quite glad, though, with COVID, that the whales are getting a bit of a year off. Um, from all that human traffic. Are they getting? But, are they getting too much now? Are they? I, yeah, I think it's just the same as any sort of ecotourism venture. Is that it can be done well and it can be done. It can kind of go down that slippery slope. And I mean, I don't know enough about it, but it's just nice to know that the whales will be getting a break from all the boat and the human interaction. And I know it was affecting them to some degree. So it'll be cool to see how they reintroduce it once the borders open and it's their chance to sort of do it better now, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but but Vavau was beautiful. I'd like to go back and do spearfishing there too now. Yeah. When I went, I wasn't into, I didn't know spearfishing yet. So me too. Yeah, it'd be cool to do some spearing there. I did do some free diving there, but I was there on a scuba, a master scuba diving instructor's course. Actually, I studied in oh, cool. um, Mackie Town, uh, just outside Pyro. With it was called the Dive Academy with Brian Sayer way oh. way back in the day, and. Um, yeah, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Vavau. It was it was cool, especially that young. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's awesome. The people that I actually went away with, Ash and Shona, were the ones that I was talking about in Fitty who do who were going to help with our rewilding weekend, and it's um, they were part of that massive sort of turning point for me as well. So Tonga is really special for me um, in terms of getting into the ocean and really connecting with with you know when you see a whale and you eyeball it like that, you there's no way you can kind of come back from that, eh? And you you want to be able to protect the environment that sustains that life. I've had a, a number of different uh, interactions just with humpbacks, mm. predominantly off the east coast of Australia here. And oh, yeah. I have, um, like, we've, there's been a, a, a pod of whales over there and I've we've motored up and, I, and then I've just jumped out of the boat and sprinted over to them. And then um, I had a whole family of them underneath me in, like, 25 metres of visibility. Whoa. And But I could tell that they weren't that welcoming to my presence. Like, I had chosen to have that interaction with them Rather than another experience I had where I was in midwater following a Spanish mackerel and the mackerel all of a sudden has just clapped and just gone. And I thought, well, I didn't really do anything there. And then all of a sudden this um, mother and her calf come just blaring in on me and then um, slowed right down as they came past me. Then they've done a big circle and the calf has come right up to me and we've just hung out for like, I don't know, a couple of minutes or something. And that, Oh, they, that's special. Yeah, but they chose that interaction and their, their yep. behaviour and everything was completely different than when I had chosen to initiate it and I enjoyed it that time a lot more, whereas the first time, it, because of the, their body language and stuff, I don't know. It was it was actually a little bit intimidating. So yeah, and you actively seeking it versus when something chooses to come to you. Eh? Yeah. It's, it's a it's a whole new realm of special. But um, well, especially with humpbacks, I found them quite terrible. Like one of the first ones that we managed to sort of have an encounter with was just a really playful. Um, juvenile male and it, that was terrifying because they keep trying to seek you out to play with you but they've obviously covered in barnacles and you're not supposed to even be anywhere near them to be able to touch them but some of them really want to play with you which yeah. is <laughs> scary because they can bloody kill you pretty quickly yeah. too but 
then you then you get those interactions with mums and calves that are nice and tranquil and calm. But I guess that's where it is with the ecotourism thing, eh? If you go in and you disturb them too much, then they get they get upset and there's too many people dropping in on whales and boat accidents and stuff like that. So I think with with spearfishing and freediving, the more time you're in the water, the more opportunities you are having those natural encounters. Like recently I was out at the Aldi's with um, with some friends and we were out spearfishing and everything magical that happens to me happens at the Alderman Islands. Um, <laughs> and this massive manta ray, well, there was a couple of them came in and just was swimming with us for ages and came in really close and it was just incredible. Yep. That was just magic. Um, those so, those yeah. experiences... Uh... They make our spearfishing something something special, and uh, even when you're not actively shooting fish, you're enjoying things like that. It's just uh, yeah. we are um, we're very blessed, I think, to um, be yeah. able to experience that stuff. Hey, Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continual support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your list is kick-ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. You reminded me of another funny story I just wanted to share with you quickly. Um, yeah. Talking about whales and shit, I was um, at work like probably 10 years ago and um, I'm sitting in the, the our smoker room opposite this guy and we're, he's asking me all these questions about spearfishing and stuff and another bloke's walked in and he's a big quiet fellow and he just stood there listening and observing for a couple of minutes mm. and then he interrupted us and he said to me, have you ever thought about um, – getting a wetsuit with some Japanese lettering on the back. And I've looked at this guy I'm talking to, the other fella, and like with this puzzled expression on my face and he's kind of – and we both looked up at him and I said, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am not a whale. Oh, no. <laughs> and Japanese, he was making a fat joke on my behalf and suggesting that I was going to be harpooned. I, I really appreciated it. It was, it was delightful. That's clever. <laughs> I like He's it. He's a clever I like fella. He's just one of those oh quiet days. I want to head out, Renee, with a bit of a bang. Yep. We're going to do a faster-paced round of questions at Spiro Q&A. Okay. So um, who has been the most influential person in your spearfishing? Ah. Too many. I think um, internationally, just someone that I aspire to is Kimmy Werner. I think she's amazing. She embeds all those values that I sort of have been banging on about. But in terms of mentorship, which I think is one of the most important things for any new person, um, I've got um, my mate Sam Hendy, who was one of my pivotal sort of dive buddies. Dutchie, Tim, who owns the dive store in Tairoa, he's incredible. Um, and Kent Remihana, who um, – so these are all these really Uncle influential – yep. Uncle Kent, yeah. Yeah, yep. I've um, heard of him they, from Catherine. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, yep. from Catherine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He takes all the girls out. But, like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. just those those dudes that are awesome and that have the time and the patience to actually teach you, and that's what's been most influential for me, yeah. All right. Um, what would be your fish of a lifetime, your bucket list fish? Um, my bucket list fish um, – Honestly, 
It's, it, this sounds really bizarre. I'm sorry that this is going to be a really boring answer, but I don't have a bucket list fish because I'm not really bothered by that. Actually, I'm going to, that's a big fat lie. I would love to spare a mahi mahi. Oh, nice. And I don't even know if that's that challenging. I haven't researched it that much, no. but I just think they're such beautiful, amazing fish and they're fast growing, so it's sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> right. They are. And um, no, they're not particularly difficult, but there's all, always, there's always a learning curve with whatever species that you decide to take exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah, your favourite person to go spearfishing with and why? One person. Um, Dutchie, 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 Dutchie and Tim, so the guy that I talked about before because he just is that guy that is so chill and just teaches you everything and doesn't, he'll take the piss out of you but he won't make you feel like an idiot for doing things wrong and he genuinely enjoys being out, well, I only hope that he does but uh, (laughs) he genuinely enjoys it and he's been out there and got my first, a lot of my firsts He's, he's been the, that guy. So, cool. yeah, I reckon awesome. Last question, big philosophical one. Oh God. And I'm going to ask you to be extremely succinct. Oh God. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Um, it means, oh, my God, this is so hard. No, it means it means kind of everything to me and it, 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 it means it brings me back to my Indigenous roots and I think it's a beautiful vessel to be able to empower other women to do to do that too, yeah. Awesome. Awesome to chat with you today, Renee. Uh, had an absolute ball. People can find you. Where can people find you? On the webs, oh, on Instagram or our Salt Sisters website. And um, if you want to learn more about Salt Sisters in general, then, yeah, head over to the gram or the website and maybe one day we'll get Amber on and do a little dual yeah. interview. Yeah, we'll chat again in the future, I'm sure. Um, we've got 99 cool. spare recipes. It'd be cool if you and Amber could contribute as well. Yes. So I'm already starting to pester people. Um, there'll be, I'll send you some more information when it's all up and live. But um, yeah, no, really, I had a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure to chat oh, cool. with you today, Renee. So awesome. Thank you for having me. Massive thanks to Renee Taylor. Really cool chat. Had an absolute blast. I hope you guys did too. Let me know. Let me know in the Noob Spirit community on Facebook. Leave a review for the podcast. Obviously, like one of the best ways to grow a podcast is just to tell your mates. Word of mouth is the is the is the fastest way and the best way to get your podcast to grow. Really want to just thank you if you have shared the podcast in the in the in the past. You've helped to make this show what it is today, and uh, and I appreciate that. And uh, as usual, if you want to go to the next level, join forty more than 40 other legends on patreon.com forward slash noobspero. You can support the Noobspero podcast on an episode by episode basis. I really appreciate it. Uh, that, that money goes towards funding trips where I get to come out and interview, you know, legends from all over the world and go diving with listeners and all sorts of stuff. So really appreciate it. That's patreon.com forward slash noobspero. In one week, I catch up with a couple of cool blokes. It's John Stenstrom from Carson the Spear and Brett Whitman from Spear Factor. And we do a review from a Spearo perspective on Sea Spiracy. You might enjoy it. Uh, it's a good lively conversation and I enjoyed it. So, hey, come back. Listen to it again next week. That's it for me today. Peace. Stay safe. Uh, enjoy your diving. I hope you get out this weekend. Catch up. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Flat rate shipping, Australia-wide, huge range of gear. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code Noob Spiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth mega stores. Use the code Noob Spiro to save online or in-store. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Are you a US-based diver? 
great news. Today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, have got a deal for you. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. Equipment you can rely on, solid gear that works. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff. 